everyone. Welcome to Real World Parenting, tips and scripts for parents on roads less traveled. I'm Dr. Laura Anderson, a child and family psychologist, and I'm glad you're here. As you settle in to listen, let me reassure you that you are in the right place. If you're a loving parent looking for answers and encouragement, and maybe even a chuckle amidst hard things. If you're a loving parent who's raising a child on a journey different from your own as a child, and are seeking a compass as you navigate uncharted waters. This is the place for you if you get the theory of parenting advice you keep hearing, but for the love of chocolate and curry and all other nearly perfect things, that theory never quite works as planned with your actual children. Finally, you are in exactly the right place if you're a therapist or clinician who works with kids, teens, and families. My intention is that these episodes will deepen your work and change lives. So in this intro, I get two to three minutes here to boil down 30 years of work in my psychology offices and my experience as a mom in the trenches and let you know what I'll offer with this podcast. I almost called it lessons from our living rooms or couch conversations because my offerings will be things I've learned and keep learning from the vantage point of both my living room couch and my therapy office couch. The aim of this podcast is to offer hope, support, wisdom, and experience in community, to provide clinicians a window into what our recommendations actually mean for real families in real life. We will talk all things kid and teen related and shine a spotlight on families navigating identities related to race, gender, and adoption. We will explore common child and adolescent mental health and wellness related topics. The hope is to leave you with a greater understanding of your child's needs and a, you got this, energy. Episodes will also feature actual practical tips and answers to questions including, well, what do I say when? And what do I do when? So that you feel equipped to handle the day-to-day parenting puzzles we face. So pour yourself a cuppa or lace up some shoes or hide in your busy parent bathroom for a bit and join me for head and heart conversations about loving and living with children walking past less often traveled. Have I mentioned I'm glad you're here? I trust that you'll be glad. Hi, everyone. It's Dr. Laura Anderson. I'm glad you're here this week, and I know you will be too. It's an honor for me to welcome my guest, Russell Van Brocklin. Welcome, Russell. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah. um, We're going to talk about... When I think of dyslexia, we're going to talk about students with dyslexia today, and um, there's there's so much mystery <laughs> and misinformation and conflicting information that I'm thrilled to take today to give uh, listeners a chance to understand more about it, um, to view it from a strength-based perspective, and to have ideas about what can help if they're trying to help a student um, navigating through school and life. Tell, tell the listeners a little bit about how we end up here. This is my chance I give guests to do a little blurb of their bio for what, what, what is important for folks to know about how you're here talking about this. Well, my background is I have the most severe case of dyslexia people have ever seen. Um, my native reading and writing skill is at the first grade level. And then uh, Dr. Holichka, SUNY Distinguished Professor of Psychology, found that I have to shift to a whole different part of my brain that functions to read and write. Wow. So 
Uh, I was told not to go to college because of my writing. I was there. Absolute. My professor was absolutely correct. And it wasn't until I reached graduate school that I could do anything. Um, it was an absolute nightmare. And I dedicated my life so that other students didn't have to go through the academic hell that I went through. Wow. So that was, that's my motivation. So my, my first program, I wanted to take super motivated and intelligent dyslectic high school students who had, we found out they had their juniors and seniors and they had eighth, uh, seventh, eighth grade writing skills. And within one class period a day for a school year, we jumped that up to the average range of entering graduate students. Their spelling and grammar on their post-test, which was the graduate records exam writing assessment, was clean. Their, spell, their spelling and grammar on their pre-test was horrendous. And when I spoke to the teacher, she said she spent almost no time on spelling and grammar. So where most people want to begin is there are a number of parents are dealing with their dyslectic child writing, as one teacher told me when I presented at major conferences, I have students writing a bunch of apparently randomly placed misspelled words. I don't know what to do. So the idea was how do we take that auto correction with spelling and grammar from advanced high school students and drop it down to younger students or anybody. So that's what I want to start off with. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you a series of questions uh, about a student, let's just call her Sarah, and what her goal is, is to write a three word sentence with correct spelling and grammar. And I'm gonna give you some very specific instructions. And I can tell you now that when I do this at conferences, Almost none of the teachers ask, answer the questions that I ask them precisely. And then with that, when I show you what the correction is, this is the secret to getting these kids to write uh, appropriate spelling and grammar, grammarly correct sentences. So let's start off with it. Um, our The student we're talking about is Sarah, and she absolutely adores swimming. She's on the swim team. She swims as much at any time she can. So here's our formula. Hero, plus sign, what the hero wants to do. We're going to replace hero with Sarah. So now it's Sarah plus sign, what the hero wants to do. We're going to replace that with swimming. So now we got Sarah plus sign swimming. So here's my question. Does Sarah like or dislike swimming? Like swimming. Sarah likes swimming. Okay. <laughs> And there's the mistake. I asked is Sarah like or dislike. You automatically added the S to make it sound correct and to be correct. But Sarah doesn't know how to add the S. So the question is, it's a very technical question. How do we get Sarah to add the S? Well, my primary effective competition is Orton Gillingham. You go to one of their schools you're going to be absolutely fine. It's a, but the problem is Dr. Orton passed away in 1948. We learned a lot about neuroscience since then. He was mostly correct, but not always. And he can teach you how to add the S, but it's seeing, touching, hearing, multi-senses. It takes a long time and a long time for the student to learn. We need something more efficient. So here's how we correct it. I simply, we simply ask Sarah to read what she wrote out loud, Sarah like swimming, and then we ask her, Sarah, 
does that sound generally correct? Hmm. And the answer is, does it sound generally correct? Sarah likes swimming. No. No. Then we tell Sarah, (laughs) fix it. So it does sound generally correct. Sarah likes swimming. Now, that may not seem that much to you, but now we've taken a student who's writing a bunch of randomly placed misspelled words, and now she's writing a basic three-word sentence. So what we have for your guests, if they're interested, we can send them a series of videos, if that's their problem, with their dyslectic child, and within less than a half an hour, we can show you how to have a, a student write, Sarah loathes cleaning her room because it's dirty. She would rather be with her friends and it smells. Now that's not a three word sentence. That's more of a a basic sentence where we take likes and dislikes and use more evolved words. And we have a series of short videos that show you precisely how to do that generally in about a hundred sentences. All right. Then now you no longer have that problem. But for students who can write that, what I found, uh, we needed something that was far more concise than our original program that allowed students from those who can write basic level, those who can write just sentences, intermediate are those who can write a five paragraph essay, and advanced students are AP English high school kids on the college and graduate students. And for those students in particular, they wanted a process where they could come up with something original to say during a, during a class. So for those students, I'd like to introduce you to our half circle course. Okay. What we do with that is we move on from a basic sentence. If you look at the grammar book, you got simple, compound, complex, compound, complex. This is our version of the simple sentence. It's a hero followed by a universal theme followed by the optimum villain. So what we do is the hero is a personal concept. If you're a beginning student, I'm going to ask you, what does the hero want to do? You're a beginning student, you're going to write one or two sentences, but you can do a five-paragraph essay at the intermediate level. You're going to write one or two paragraphs. And if you're an advanced student from an AP English high school kid all the way through a graduate student, you're going to write me five to 50 paragraphs. All right? And then going through each one, we're going to ask for an action word. An action word moves a person, a hero, into the general direction of their goals. The most important word are the most important words in this sentence. Obviously, for beginning students, you're going to give me one of each. For intermediates, there's going to be quite a few for each one. Then you compare each, you know, two at a time until you get the best one. And then you tell me which way you want to go for advanced students. It's going to be much longer. Yeah. But as you can imagine, the longer the list of words, the more unique and powerful the word is probably going to be. Once we have uh, the way you want to go with comparing the best action word and the best, most important word, we're then going to move on to thesaurus.com. If you're a beginning student, you're going to look up two or three words to try to find a better word than the one you came in with. Intermediate students, I would say go and look at everything on that first level. For advanced students, you're going to look up every word on the first level, find a better word, click on it, and go down to the next level. 
And then you're going to try to find a better word that best the definition for each word. You're going to look it up in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, pick out your definition, and you're going to try to match the definition that you see that best matches the one in your head. And you're going to keep going down until the last level, the, the words are not, they're, they're garbage words. And at that point, the last word that got you there, that's your universal thing. Hmm. Okay. So now that you have your universal thing, then you pick your optimum villain who is there to prevent the hero from reaching their goals. So that's, uh, again, a person or a concept, and you put those words into a sentence. Now, what you have here mm-hmm. is you have your hero, but now you have a word that best matches in your head, depending if you're beginning, intermediate, or advanced student. And especially if you do it at the advanced level, you can probably go into class and the teacher or professor probably has associated that hero with that particular universal thing. If they have, we have in our paid courses, we have a more advanced ways of doing this, but just in that context, you can go in and now defend yourself saying, I think this universal theme applies to this character at this juncture in the story. And because you, you went through all this work, you can have now a learned discussion with your teacher or professor. So, so, and so, so it sounds like you've been able to like, how, how did you like come to understand this? So in a nutshell, what it does is you were saying a little bit when we started back to even zoom backwards toward what is dyslexia? How come these methods work? Why, why have the things that you're, um, that you discovered and I, the hard way learned about yourself and learned about learning and learned about kids and looked at the research. What is, how would you best define dyslexia and why do these methods work? Okay. The first thing you're going to want to do with your dyslexic child is we got to identify the biggest problem with dyslexia. And after presenting for over 10 years at major conferences, I can tell you, the field doesn't know this. Okay. Um, so what, just go to your dyslexic child and ask them this question. First of all, you have to identify their speciality. Their speciality is two things. It's their area of extreme interest and ability, not extreme interest and low ability or limited interest and greater ability. It's extreme interest and ability. Okay. Once you define that, then you need to ask them in your, in your speciality, have you ever found that you have ideas flying around your head at light speed? Key question, but with little to no organization. And they're almost certainly going to answer yes. So at that point, what you're going to tell them is we're going to help you organize your thoughts by forcing your brain to organize itself by using writing as a measurable output. So essentially the problem is we think so rapidly with little to no organization that that's our primary problem. When our brain is forced to organize itself by using writing, this is just how we measure how we're doing as a measurable output. As you recall, I just gave you a formula, several formulas that we would go through. Yes. You keep doing that and practicing until, until they're mastered. Okay. So as you're doing that, what we found is that the spelling and grammar in a lot of ways autocorrects. Okay. 
Yes. And that's the key point to get started. The next point, as you saw, as we're going through the thesaurus and each word, we're typing out the word and we're picking its definition. That's how you develop a very broad and rich vocabulary. Okay. So I've had students where they say, I want to be an advanced student. So they're literally spending just on that section of our program a couple of months uh, for the really, the, the kids really want to get the most out of this. And what they're finding is eventually after they've gone through uh, like one of the words we used for Walt Disney was emancipation. How many times do you need to type out emancipation and its definition until you have it? So I would have students years later getting ready for their SAT or the or the ACT, and the verbal sections are essentially vocabulary uh, tests, and they already remembered 70 80% of what the definitions are. They didn't need to study them. They already knew them. Yeah. So I would ask them to go thesaurusize a word, and they would do go through a couple hundred words in five or ten minutes. These kids are been twelve years old. We've been practicing this for a while. So the key thing to understand about dyslexia is it's primarily an organizational problem. Once you understand that, then what I suggest is you go to look at Overcoming Dyslexia by Sally Shaywitz, okay. second edition, okay. page seventy-eight, figure twenty-three. Okay, and you're going to see a brain image. And the back part of my brain has almost no neuroactivity. Yours is going gangbusters. <laughs> but the front part of my brain has about three times the neuroactivity. Yeah. And it says articulation and then word analysis. They should have put word analysis first, then articulation. That's what we found. Oh, it's far wow. more effective. Wow. So we start off so we start off with the student speciality. And I had parents say, my kid won't do any schoolwork. I said, what's their speciality? We figure it out. And then what happens is we, we get them to select a book, preferably a couple of grade levels above where they're supposed to be, find a, a, this good audio book that they like as well. And by focusing on their speciality, then on word analysis followed by articulation, we get them to be able to thoroughly read their book and then eventually to write on it, depending on how far you want to go, up to the college slash graduate school level. And at that point, I've had professors who wanted to work with some of my more advanced graduates because of their reading and writing skills. Because when they get a paper from one of my former students, they're actually reading, they're actually reading something that's original. They're learning something. All right? Right. And that's what matters a lot. Right. Yeah. Oh, imagine if you're a high school English teacher and you're you're teaching advanced placement English and you're having students write uh, an essay on Romeo and Juliet. It's the same essay that's been written for the past hundred years <laughs> or more. Right. Now imagine you go through one of our advanced courses and now you're reading something and you learn a little something, what I call a whiff of originality. And you're like, I I didn't think of this that that way before, and that's the one standout paper. The original idea is the standout compared to all the other ones. Even if the other ones are written technically better, yeah. if you learn a little something, that's what they're really looking for. And what do you think are the so – so you've hit on what I think are some of the key misconceptions, right? That I think so often the work I do mm -hmm. with parents and kids is trying to help people move from – 
like what I mean you you have to have some awareness of where the sticking points are for your kid but in general moving away from what my kid can't do to how do we figure out you know what they can do and where the strengths are and I hear what you're saying a high motivation and and ability intersection and and that if we recognize that it isn't a brain deficiency the classic it's a brain difference like you actually have you, mm-hmm. you know, better functioning, more active frontal lobe quality. So it isn't like, oh, my kid is at this deficit. How are we going to get them through? It is how do we figure out how to capture these strengths and how do we talk to the kid about this? Like, do what what language do you use when you're talking to kids about dyslexia? Let me give you an example. I had one student, her name was Casey, and she was very interested in George Washington. All right, Casey was 10 with a second grade reading level, and she desperately wanted to read better than her classmates. So I assigned her this little boy, this little book, 1,000 pages, 10th, 11th grade level up to first year college, depending on who you ask. Took Casey six months on her own to go through that couple hours a night, five, seven nights out of the week. Okay. I spent, uh, she was an incredibly motivated and bright kid. I spent 15 minutes a week with her. She got a call, her parents called, I got a call from the school when she was in sixth grade. What is your daughter doing with this massive book? How is she reading this? I thought she was dyslectic. Well, she's not dys. Well, she's now reading better than anybody in her class by multiple grade levels. Wow. All right. It's not that hard of a process. Uh, I gave her a slight adaptation of what I explained earlier. Now, what I will tell you is I think that's not the best way of doing it. By going through the half circle process and our more evolved full circle uh, process, um, things naturally fix themselves. Uh, uh, Casey went through a very direct way of reading first, then writing. I find if you teach writing first, the reading auto cracks and it's much easier, oh, but wow. that's typically the type of book that I'll assign to our college bound students. Now, just, you know, where, where Casey is now, she's an A minus student and a senior in high school getting ready to go on to, uh, one of the better colleges in her state. Wow. So, um, and she's having absolutely no trouble in school whatsoever. So. It's not, it's the concept is not hard to do, but it's a lot of practice. And primarily what I do now is I train parents to teach their kids directly through, um, we have a course where if you're interested, we, we give you a thousand dollar discount from the program and we stay with you as long as you need to, to get your student to a, either a basic five paragraph essay, or if they can even, if they can write a basic five paragraph essay how to do a more evolved five-paragraph essay based on the concepts of the craft research. Wow. This was a book written by the University of Chicago for their graduate students. And once we get students to write a basic essay using that process, we then have another course where we show you how to come up with original ideas. And then our final course shows you how to write a, a long essay based on the craft of research where your thesis statement and conclusion statements are multiple paragraphs. And that's what the professors want. I've had professors from the Ivy League say, this is what I want, and I'm not getting it. Mm. 
And we yeah. show our dyslectic students how to write precisely that way. And it's very much appreciated once they get to college. Yeah. I mean, I think there's so much there's because being able. So so as you know, right, what happens sometimes for kids and parents in this journey is that there's a lot of early frustration kids start to tell themselves negative mm -hmm. stories about them right parents are frustrated and flustered and worried kids start to tell themselves negative stories about their own learning potential right and so mm -hmm. being able to give language for kids and say hey this is and i with kids as young as five and six you could at seven you can talk about how the you know the front part of your brain is super busy and and scooting around really 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 fast and we've got to figure out how to help slow down and have everybody up there stay in their lanes and like there are metaphors that you can use to explain to kids if they have questions about uh, about what's happening or to help them understand why it is that um they're experiencing frustration because early on and I mean I know some kids can mask it for a while especially kids who have some natural abilities can 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 fake it uh for a mm -hmm. while I don't know what age you see I see the the between third and fourth fourth grade is a really common time after my work in elementary schools for for some gaps uh to start to show up where the kids who have been able to kind of fake it aren't as able to fake it as well anymore. Um, and I don't know if that's kind of what you see as well. Is oh, no. Uh, well, to give you an example, let's say I'm dealing with a high school kid who's 80, 85 GPA, brothers or sisters are fighting to be the Victorian. It's very typical. Right. And I'll ask them, when you were in elementary school, you had to do some academic task. You couldn't move on. Nobody could help you. Then you got extremely frustrated, and then the answer came to you, and you passed with some minimum level. Yeah, that sounds familiar. And then I would ask them, "You've that you that's happened to you so many times that you've lost count." Yes, and I would say basically you've just been put through gladiator school <laughs> for your doc for your graduate work because once we reach graduate school, we're in our speciality in our narrow area. And all they care about is the idea that adds something significant to the field. I call it the currency of the realm. Hmm. And that's what we do. Okay. Now, some of the help, one of the big things you're, you're going to hear a lot about is artificial intelligence. And uh, for example, chat GPT-4. Yes. What I try to tell my students is until you can do a reasonably good five paragraph essay, and you move on to our course where we show you how to come up with something original, stay away from it, okay? But once you reach that advanced level, I can just give you an example. One of my employees, she's very bright, just entering her master's degree. Uh, she, I gave, I, I, she said there's a better way than what I came up with for coming up with the original idea. She gave me a long paragraph. Within eight hours, I turned that into 88,000 words based on her concept and I sent it back to her okay here's something for you to work on for the next six months until we go to test out the idea so when we're dealing with artificial intelligence and coming up with something unique to say I found it to be very similar to working with dyslectic students you need to organize you need to tell her what to do communicate with it I found that my, my better students were very good at dealing with artificial intelligence 
And there's a lot of jobs in the uh, out there where this skill is absolutely needed. We know what questions to ask, how to discuss things around and get it to do what we want. So there are extreme advantages to being dyslectic. It's just a matter of you just go through a process like I just described to you, um, focusing on our strengths and not our weaknesses. The problem is our school system is set up for academic, make us academic journalists before we can specialize. We just want to specialize. And the system is set up for gen ed students. It's not set up for us. And that's why we struggle until we hit graduate school. And then it's very unfair to be dyslectic. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's a really interesting point, right? Absolutely. That, and this is what we talk about a lot, too, for for different kinds of 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 beautiful learners who need to be motivated in order to focus and or organize thoughts and or mm -hmm. um, uh, just be able to follow their passions. That it, it it does become a little bit of a trick of figuring out how to. I don't know, in a nutshell, the way I think about it is speak to them about what's going on in a way that is not pathologizing or harmful. Help them learn how to work within the system or work with the system to help them learn how to work with your child. And then and then really it is a matter of both hanging on until they can get to do more specialized specific work or and building those skills so that some of the general education learning is not as torturous, right? So what you're saying with the work that you're doing is a little bit of both, right? It's helping them think about dyslexia differently, um, preparing them for when they can really shine as they get into their areas of expertise, but also there's skill building happening well before these kids get to graduate school if they have access to your program earlier, right? I mean, if they're able to... Let me give you yeah. for example. Yeah. So Casey started this near the end of fifth grade, going through this monster. Yeah, it's okay. a thousand-page book for people who can't see. <laughs> yes, if this is the book if you're a lay person who wants to know about Washington. So as we're going through it, we're constantly asking, what does George Washington want to do? All right? And if you like him, he's a hero. If you dislike him, he's a villain. All right? right. And... I've had, you know, like I had African-American students who would look at him and say, he's one of the uh, the worst people in American history because he owns slaves. Okay, so let's attack it from that angle. He was a villain. Let's go through it. We'll just reverse it. Yeah. All right. Other ones, he's our found, he's, he's the found father of our country. He's a hero. Okay. Whatever your viewpoint is. Okay. But as they're going through that and they're constantly looking up words, coming up with universal themes that represent what's in their head, finding the optimum villain that prevents him from doing what he wants to accomplish and discussing this. Remember, Casey's doing this between 10 and 11. Wow. All right. And so she's sitting in class for silent reading and they come across the other kids say, what are you doing? They're reading Harry Potter. She's reading this and they take her book and they can't, the best reader in her class can't get past the first paragraph and she's near the end. And then one of her teachers said, started asking her questions about it in front of class. And she could answer all of the questions and actually knew more than the teacher did. All right, because the teacher did read that book in the past, but they didn't read it really thoroughly. Okay. 
one of the things I say is I don't teach reading. I teach comprehension. Reading is just a part of it. And the teacher is just amazing. How do you know all this? Well, you go through it very slowly, very carefully. And once you learn all the processes, especially how to get to the craft of research level, and you turn in a paper where like, oh, I never knew that about George Washington. I've learned something. And you write it in this really evolved format that graduate students and college professors want want to see. It just opens up all sorts of doors for you. Because like, for example, uh, some of the advantages of dyslexia, that original program I came up with. Yeah. Um, I was referred to Dr. James Collins who wrote a book called Strategies for Struggling Writers. He found three default strategies of copying, visualization, and narrative. I extended his work to severe dyslexia, and I did in less than two weeks. Wow. Be- because I had to because there was a university-wide competition, and I had to get it done by a certain time if I wanted, and I got 15000 from the university. And I was told that was going to take me five, six years. I'm dyslectic. I did in less than two weeks. All right. There's a profound advantage to being dyslectic when you have to come up with original ideas in your area of expertise. Okay. I love that. And, and again, that shows up in graduate school. I've, I found a lot of successful dyslectics, uh, senior professors, full professors. They were not good in high school a little better in college, a little better in their major, but once they reach graduate school, top their class, they won. So what I just try to tell kids is hang on. Yeah. When you hit grad <laughs> graduate school, it's going to be a huge advantage. Or if you're a head and hands person, somebody who likes auto mechanics, oh, electrician, advanced manufacturing, you can just see things in your head, see different solutions, and it matters. Then you go and you, you get to write at a re, at a reasonably decent level five paragraph essay, and you go to a two year community college, and you're fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I love it. I love the reframing, and I love the right. Sometimes it really does take the lived experience to understand how to translate what looks like deficit into. Um, just how to harness <laughs> what is the well, let's, like, let's, stuff. Well, let's go through, like, how far did you go in your education? Uh, a doctorate. Yeah. So I have my site. Okay. Now you remember when you started, there were a lot of people, but all but dissertation who never finished. Yes. Okay. Now when you were doing, when you were working on your doctorate, do you remember that time when your original idea came to you? Yes. Okay. What did you do to generate that idea? Hmm. I was within an area of, uh, like, if I, I guess what I was thinking, I answered, I went right to what I ended up doing my dissertation on. So um, it was based on, yeah, it was based on personal experience and interest I had, and I was driven by a question. I don't know if I'm answering your question. Okay, so you were driven by a question that led to your aha moment. Yes. Okay. What I'm trying to do is those critical skills that you started learning in graduate school, I want to drop those to fifth or sixth graders. I want them, for the ones who are going on to do a PhD, to start working on something this big at 10, 11 years old, 12 years old, and start getting a broad knowledge base so when it comes time to where we show them how to come up with something original, 
you can have that epiphany Hmm. because a lot of people that are going through a doctoral program, they don't know when you ask your professor, how do I come up with this epiphany? What did they tell you? Give me your process for coming up with an epiphany. They give you any advice on that? Not that I remember. No, (laughs) no. And that's the most, that's the most important part. So when you came up with your solution, your value add, then once you had that idea down and explained that you could explain it to other people, then you just had a lot of work to do to finish the dissertation, right? I mean, a tremendous amount of work. Yes. You just had to prove it. But if you can't come up with that idea. Yeah. So the, so what I try to explain to parents of dyslectic students is we provide a concrete process for coming up with those epiphanies. Oh, cool. That you can start using in high school, okay, if you've been with us for a while, and it, and then how to express that. The way you wrote up your dissertation was very similar to the craft of research. It's just one of the. It's just about the best known book out there in the process. But we show you that process before you get out of out of high school. Yes. All right, and it just makes it a lot easier so that when you do get to graduate school, and then I hear this all the time. Well, how am I going to write a you know five hundred thousand word dissertation? I'm dyslectic. Well, when the time comes, we show you how to use Chat GPT four. And as I said, with an example, one of my employees gave me a long paragraph, and in less than eight hours, I turned around and gave her eighty eight thousand words. Okay, yeah, we're on the phone. And no, that's yeah. not Chat GPT just writing random stuff. That's me telling it and working with it to outline, expanding her ideas. And then once it understood very precisely what I was looking for, then it wrote up a good, and all that is is a good draft for her to start working from. All right. So uh, that's the advantage. I now do almost all my own writing using this and it cost me $22, $22 a month. And it changed everything uh, for I can still write, but I find this just makes me so much more productive. Yeah. So again, there is an advantage to being dyslectic. And because what I'm finding is working with the AI, it's a very smart kind of dumb thing. You have to tell it what to do so it actually understands. And there's a process I we, we show people at the advanced level on how to work with it and make themselves vastly more efficient. Nice. And take And when they take those skills out in the workforce – it's incredibly valuable because most companies don't even know what to do with this thing. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's right. So takeaways today for parents as we get ready to wrap. What resources? If feel half circle, whole circle, and the what was the the book that you well, mentioned? Basically, it, our first one is our basic sentences for the for the students who are is that what one teacher said writing a bunch of randomly placed words. We can send you a series of videos and instructions on how just to correct that. It's less than a half an hour. And for the more evolved students, are you looking at, are you, for the half circle, are you beginning intermediate or advanced students? And so what I would like to encourage people to do is to, I can send you um, a Zoom link where you can click on, it's a free 90-minute session where we go through, you tell me what the problems your child is having. I show them how the process can be, can work with them 
to overcome their concerns and make them, you know, one of the better students in their school. And if they're interested, after we go through that process, we have webinars where we stay with you as long as needed. Parents, uh, what you'll find is my approach, the older your child is, the quicker they go through it, which is the opposite of a traditional approach. Um, And we offer uh, individuals who come through, you know, your podcast, a $1,000 discount on the course. And uh, we stay with you as long as you need. I've had parents in our basic paragraph course, some students finish within a month or two, and some who have just really severe problems, and you know who you are. I've had some parents who need to stay with us a little over a year, but then they didn't have to send their child away, you know, for that course. Didn't have to send the child away to an Orton-based private school. Okay. And uh, it, that's even if you can afford it or have the school pay for it, a lot of parents don't want their kids going away to a boarding school at age 11. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming in and giving folks in, uh, concrete resources and hope and the firsthand experience around that stuff and just, just... I think that this ends up being because it, it ends up being such a big catch-all area too for folks. So, so having being able for parents to get clear with the with resources, reaching out to you, reaching out to others, and just clarifying, yeah, where where's the struggle, and also where is that sweet spot of motivation and ability, and then being able to learn real specific tricks that help kids. Uh, formulate and learn differently. And uh, it's really encouraging to hear that sticks with them, that you all are seeing that, that they master the vocabulary, they keep the information, the knowledge in their head. And I love the thoughts about how this is going to interface with um, AI, because we're on the, the verge of a, of a new way of being around all of this stuff too. So it's super interesting at the intersection of those two things, being able to harness. Well, the original guys. program the students went through, they all graduated. They all went on to college. They all graduated from college. No accommodations with GPA, with grade point averages between 2.5 to 3.6. Wow. My competition can do that for a couple hundred thousand dollars. This cost the state, New York State, less than $900. And when I said New York State, I had to go through the Education Department, the SUNY Research Foundation, um, wow. you know, business groups, teachers, the school district everybody wow yeah that's a process in and of it <laughs> in and of it you want state funding but <laughs> the key thing is at that time that was 20 years ago we were able to reduce things to less than 900 the problem was it was only for the most advanced students now we've kind of stretched it out made the end point a lot more evolved i mean i've had uh high students who are going to be valedictorians take my advanced courses because their professor said, oh, craft of research, yeah, you better know how to do that if you want to come here. And they were applying to top 50, top, top 50 colleges. Wow. So uh, the selectics go much deeper. The AP kids go through it drastically faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, it's lovely to be introduced to the ideas, and I look forward to my listeners having access to it. And I really appreciate your time today, Russell, and we're happy to point people towards this good work you're doing to, to make – you know, dyslectic learning less of a mystery, more strength based, and give folks concrete things to do to 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 help address what's tricky about the system until they can get to do what comes so naturally and in such a distinct way. So thanks for making time to come and share your experience. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Sure. 
All right, well, thanks for listening today. Just a quick note here at the end to say I am so glad you joined, and I hope you are too. And if you'd like to connect with me more, come take a look at my website, www.drlauraanderson.com. There you can join my newsletter, keep in touch, and find out what is in the works. You can also join me for coffee and conversation uh, and Facebook at Common Cord Psychology Services. So check me out those places, and I look forward to further connection. I'm glad you were here today.